host, Aram Milkamuth, and you're listening to another Product Innovation Show episode. Every week, the guests that we have on our show share their stories and wisdom on how to ship uh, a great product. Uh, on, the sh- on the show today, I have Ale Pintado, who's the Global Director of Product Management at Payfit. Uh, he leads a cross-functional team of product managers, designers, and engineers. He is responsible for the strategy of a, mul- of a multiple portfolio on the HR and payments product side, serving 150, comp- 150 employees uh, across, across Europe. Uh, he's focused on enabling cross-functional teams to, to deliver user-centric experiences on e-commerce and SaaS products. Uh, Ali, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Same here, and hi everyone. Happy to be here with you. Awesome, cool. Well, uh, let's jump in with the first question. Um, sure. I was like asking this. It's uh, uh, you know the key kind of responsibility of a product manager is knowing how to uh, build the right product. So when when a product manager is uh, uh, joining a company or you know is focusing on a new product initiative within. Uh, their organization, what should the focus points be initially for the product manager to consider when trying to determine whether or not it's the right product to build? Yeah, that's uh, that's a very interesting question. And uh, I believe that different organizations have different ways of dealing with that. Um, I kind of like to think that as a product manager, our duties is to be responsible for both strategy, discovery, and delivery. And so I like to slice that down into, uh, let's say, the six heels of uh, pro development, where you start with defining a vision for your product. Uh, it needs to be inspiring, but also realistic, and needs to reflect what the market is, your competitors, and the value proposition you're planning to deliver. Uh, it goes through defining the objective and i'm not talking about okrs but it's more about the business objective so the jobs to be done you're trying to fulfill for your users the impact that you're trying to reach uh, and that's uh, very it's very key in the strategic part because uh, this defines what you're trying to accomplish as a business it then goes through a, a proper discovery session uh, so you need to identify all the problems that is preventing you to achieve that objective. And um, you need to empathize with your users. You need to better understand how they work, uh, uh, what are the pain points on their daily basis. And and after that, try to brainstorm uh, within a a, a limited uh, uh, time box activity because we don't have endless time when we build product. Uh, on what is the best problem solution fit uh, for those problems you found. Once you got that, then you can enter into the delivery. And so you can enter into the solution deliveries, scoping out your your solution, running spikes, MVPs, launching a beta in order to start testing your product. And eventually, once you launched it, you need to go through optimization, which doesn't mean starting the whole process from scratch, but it's more about based on the objective you defined at the beginning. You try to um, run very short bets in order to uh, run rapid experimentations, A-B testing, until you get to the point where you want it to be when you started, which was your objective. Mm 
Okay, great. And just to go a bit deeper into one of those um, steps in that in that process. Um, previously, me and you kind of discussed the importance of being able to slice out certain parts of a product funnel in order to determine conversion rates um, through that kind of journey. What yeah. does that process? Uh, uh, what does that process look like, or what what do you do um, around this uh, at your current company? Yeah, well, I think one of the most important steps in this product development process is actually the objective definition. And part of the work that we're carrying out through this phase is to analyze and understand the jobs that our customer are trying to achieve with or without our product. So they're probably hiring another product, most likely Excel if you're a productivity tool, to run their job on a daily basis, or they're doing it with multiple tools. And so defining what they're trying to accomplish before actually trying to digitalize that into a product helps you to understand which are the steps that the user is trying to take in order to accomplish that job. Mm -hmm. And eventually, once you digitalize that, it takes the form of multiple steps. So in, in B2C, for example, you go th from a web page to a search, you identify the product, you browse th through the details of your product, and eventually end up with a conversion purchasing a product um, or any uh, service or material you, you wanted to perform in that, in that search. For a B2B, it might look like more like a request or um, um, like uploading some documents. So it, it concerns a list of steps that leads to a conversion. So it, it's, it has a start and it has an end and it has a series of steps in between. And so your job can be sliced down in a list of steps and you could potentially measure at every single step the conversion uh, and the combination of the conversion of the multiple steps to get to the end of that and measure the number of successful job funnel that you had within your product. Uh, which means that if on step two you see that you have a drop of conversion of 80%, you know that there you might have a problem you want to slice down and investigate more qualitatively what's the problem of the user. Why did the user drop at step two? Was it not understood or was meant to uh, be done that step or simply it was not fulfilling their job because they needed to do something else before that? And so what we're trying to do is to measure the number of active users per job funnel we're trying to measure the average time spent on the job funnel and also to measure the, the number of job funnel that started and, and finished per user uh, to eventually measure the successfulness of the whole job funnel. Perfect. No, that's a, that's a great process. So thank you for sharing that. I think uh, if uh, product managers aren't currently trying to think the way you, you are, uh, they really should. So thank you for sharing. Um, in your experience um, as, um, as a leader in product, um, what has been that you've seen your own product managers or even yourself uh, uh, struggle when it comes to determining what new feature it or product uh, to build for the market? You know, if it's B2B or B2C, um, is it like the early stages of trying to like uh, create your hypothesis? Is it like validating it? 
Like, can you share some experience on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest challenge overall is to try to deliver significant value to your customer, which is in the end, the end result. You're trying to optimize something that they're already doing somehow with another product, with something else. And so how do you deliver value to your customers? Um, I think one of the things that we don't spend enough time is, is really trying to empathize with our user and try to understand what they're really trying to accomplish beyond our product. Very often we deal with customers that are already using the product and therefore we're trying to optimize what exists today without thinking why they hired the product in the first place. And therefore we are maybe solving problems that concern the existing user journey that was developed without thinking really behind uh, the user uh, deep motivation and needs. And potentially uh, we're over optimizing a solution that is not what ultimately our customer want. And therefore, one of the proxy that we can use in order to measure that, which is adoption, like the, the, how many customers are using our, uh, our solution could help us as well to measure um, how well we're doing, uh, uh, how, how well we are delivering value to, to the customer. Another framework I like to use as well is, is the, the pro, uh, market fit. Um, survey. Uh, it's a very popular framework invented by Sean Ellis and it measures basically the likelihood uh, of, a, of, a, of a customer to uh, find value into your product by measuring uh, basically the market fit uh, um, of, of, of your product. It, it, it's around one key question which is basically how would you feel if you could no longer use your product? And if you get at least 40% of customers that are answering as very disappointed, it means that you know, they didn't have an alternative to run that job. And therefore, <laughs> the value you're providing to them, it's enough to say that they'd rather not stop using your product and hire something else because you're doing something that it brings value to them. And. Um how um, how important do you think? Um, well, let me rephrase my question. Um, this is a very important uh, responsibility. Um, in your experience, is this something that a product manager should be accountable for in terms of its success or failure? I believe it depends on the organizations, right? Uh, you have some organization where product managers are only responsible for delivery. And then you have the senior product managers in the team that are carrying out the discovery work and then delivering pieces of information to other teams. And then the more you go up into the career, uh, you get into the strategy. I tend to think that if we hire people <laughs> in the end is because we, we want to empower them and we want them to, to grow as well. And therefore, depending on the complexity, obviously, we're not um, um, giving too many responsibility for what they can actually take on, but being responsible for a specific uh, scope from strategy to discovery and delivery and ultimately responsible of the results of the work you're doing is on one side empowering and I believe also motivating 
uh, um, people, and especially product manager, whose main motivation most of the time is to deliver impact. And so if ultimately you're not responsible for the impact you're delivering, therefore the value to your customer, it would be very difficult to seek motivation uh, through just delivering a bunch of features or through optimizing a metric that you don't know deeply in your heart if it's the right one or not. Okay, perfect. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, regarding um, uh, product uh, development um, uh, steps uh, uh, that um, product managers typically go through in an organization, uh, whether that's from discovery to delivery, what what are some th things that you've seen frequently get missed? So I know we talked about discovery uh, and like the importance of uh, product market fit and determining uh, and validating you know the need in the market and things like that. So that's obviously one really important one. But aside from that, what are some other things that you've seen or your team has um, in the past or currently uh, skipped? Um, that you've seen as um, uh, uh, as something that was like a shortfall? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting question because, uh, again, depending on the process you're using, uh, you might skip one step or another, but uh, uh, following the guiding principle of our uh, pro development process, uh, an important step that we have at the objective definition phase, which I consider one of the most important phase because it de determines what you're going to do afterwards, is the analysis of all the risks and the identification of all the risks that you might incur when you start uh, identifying the problems and eventually defining your solutions. And it can go from a, a legal risk to um, a technical one or to uh, the value you are uh, you think you will deliver to the customer and so spending time identifying the risks and then finding ways to test those riskiest assumptions first by launching for example a fake door test or by creating a proof of concept if you need to test the feasibility of that or by running a legal assessment before actually you start working on that and not waiting for the end of the cycle and the go-to-market to ask your legal team whether something is possible or not. I feel it's something that very often, uh, even in my career, I felt we, we missed and therefore I consider as quite important step um, not to... Uh, um, what, that lead potentially to miss your ultimate uh, objective. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's very true. Um, in that kind of like thought process, um, what have you done in the past in order to remove decision making bias? So, for example, you you have access to the users, you have access to the data, so you have the quantitative data. Um, you know, how do you? Uh, when you analyze it, how do you remove or your, does your team remove bias uh, in kind of their uh, decision-making process? Yeah. Well, t to some extent, I guess removing it entirely, it, it's very hard and I'm not entirely sure if it's possible, but reducing that, uh, definitely it's something that we should, uh, we should all aim at. Uh, and so, you know, being 
like going through steps like making sure that we empathize and we understand deeply uh, uh, what the user are doing and therefore not only receiving briefing but actually taking part of the interviews making sure that not only the product manager and the user researcher are taking part of the interviews but also the engineers rotating perhaps are taking part of interviews and taking part of the work uh, that is not only the delivery part but also the discovery part so having multiple point of views and having a diverse team with different skills different knowledge uh, that it's one way of reducing the bias because then you don't have only one person taking the decision but you have multiple point of views from different expertise to different people that have been exposed to partially the same information but they understood that from different angles and with their background and expertise and so there is where you try to reduce that yeah and uh, just on that point i think um a lot of companies don't bring in their engineers early enough in the discovery process in order to provide that kind of like sanity check or that technical kind of like thought process um, in in that decision making. So that's very yeah. true. Um, tell me about PayFit. Uh, you know, how do you manage your 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 own product team um, a, as a leader in the company? Yeah. Well, um, we we'd like teams to be quite um, autonomous and empowered. So since the very beginning, we um, create um, quite autonomous squads, meaning that they have all the right set of skills and tools in order to run uh, their job uh, as efficient as possible, uh, with some limitation, obviously, like you never have the perfect organization, so you always have some flows here and there, but that's at least uh, what we're trying to achieve. Uh, by by creating um, uh, teams with a dedicated mission, with uh, objectives that are set and decide together with the team uh, on a on an annual uh, uh, cadence, and then key results refined on a quarterly basis. And teams are ultimately responsible for defining their strategy defining uh, um, and running the discoveries and eventually uh, also uh, accountable for the results. That doesn't mean that uh, you know they're, they're thrown uh, into the field and they're not being uh, follow up. What we're trying to do is to set a system with some guiding principles and uh, we are trying to give the tools and um, the techniques, what works, the best practices that have been used and reused by the different teams in order for them to choose and pick the best ones for that moment. So we try not to have like strict processes that everyone needs to follow through as if you were in a supply chain. Um, but it, it's more about giving the framework in which they can operate. Uh, for example, like a playbook can help into taking a decision based on the situation which you're in. You're choosing the tactic that you want to implement in order to understand more about your customer or better deep dive into uh, the solution. And um, 
and, and at the same time implement a system that enable us to have a conversation which is bi-directional. So decision needs to be taken uh, either at the leadership level or at the team level in a quite autonomous way because the context is shared and is flowing uh, in, in a very nice way in both directions. Decisions are shared, discussed and challenged as well in both directions. So you cannot delegate without follow through, otherwise you abdicate from your responsibilities. So obviously a discussion needs to happen, but at the same time, you want to make sure that anyone at any point of time can take the best decision based on the context that they've been exposed to. Awesome. Um, and uh, you mentioned that, you know, through time in your different teams, um, you've created or developed your own kind of processes for certain uh, things from how to do discovery and, you know, uh, user interviews and things like that. Um, are there any um, frameworks that have proven to you as like your golden kind of standards, uh, either in discovery or in delivery that you'd want to recommend to others? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a bunch of frameworks out there, uh, uh, probably too many, and so it's very difficult to pick. Uh, but uh, the ones we are using quite often, for example, at the stage of creating and shaping the vision is the value proposition canvas. Uh, this is something that helps us as well to better understand how we can map and understand the value we can bring to our users based on what they're trying to achieve. Um, Lean Canvas also, which is then like a consequence of, of that, put that into perspective from a business standpoint, helps us to frame the opportunity that we are going after as well. Uh, then, uh, you know, uh, um, different phases, um, um, you know, the customer uh, journey map, it's another great framework that helps us to understand uh, how the user is trying to fulfill their job. Um, we, we use a lot of storyboarding or story mapping uh, at the problem solution fit or a solution delivery stage. Um, and um, mostly, mostly that. Uh, we also develop from time to time some internal framework, uh, which is a mix of multiple ones uh, if we see that it's not really fulfilling what we're trying to accomplish. Because in the end, when you have a framework, it's not about following the framework um, by, the in, book. It, it, by the book, exactly. Uh, it, it needs to help you achieve something you're trying uh, to achieve. And, 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 and therefore, if it doesn't help, then you should be free to adapt it. Yeah. And on the value, I'm just curious, on the value proposition and the lean canvas, I mean, the lean canvas is a tried, tested, true, um, framework um, that tries to keep things objective but on the value proposition one how do you how do you write it out or how does your team write it out so that it's clear it's objective it's to the point without it trying to be like some sort of super ambitious type of uh, unachievable sort of like plan <laughs> yeah um, well we we first try to um, uh, dig into 
qualitative and quality information before running the workshops, uh, which means running a couple of user interviews, uh, going into, into the data, and, there, uh, and then we, we sit down together and we try to uh, uh, brainstorm. Um, so we spend you know, 15 minutes uh, in or, uh, in individually to generate post-its on the different jobs that based on the evidence we accumulated in the past two weeks of discovery, uh, we know the user is trying to achieve and we try to list them out. Then we spend time discussing it we group it and then we kind of filter out the ones we agree uh, most on. And then we try to, to do the same with the pains and the gains. And, and, we, and, and so we combine like individual work with group work so that at the end we get uh, to discuss about the evidence behind a specific job that someone listed. And so depending on the maturity of the team and the level of exposure that I had to the customer, uh, your assumptions on the job that the user is trying to accomplish is more true or, or less, that uh, is more or less biased, let's say. Um, but, but again, like the group uh, work is, is the part that needs to, um, remove as much as possible this bias. And then of course we are at the phase in which we're defining the assumptions. And so at some point we need to test them. So even if we created a value proposition, it's something that we need to test out with the customer to see actually if those are the jobs they're trying to achieve. Right. Okay, okay, excellent. A um, Couple more questions and then we'll jump into uh, this fireside uh, yep. question set um, I have. Uh, so. My next question is, um, in your experience building product, and you know, you have, uh, I think, tried and true uh, experience, you know, being a product manager all the way to now leader in an organization. Can you share some like uh, worst kind of like product or features that you you worked on uh, that you had to deal with in your career, um, and how soon did you realize that? Yeah, you know, this is not working. Was it in the early stages in like the value proposition? Was it already in delivery or it's too late maybe? Um, can, can, you sh can you maybe give an example and, and, and tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, I cannot lie, there, there is a bunch of examples uh, out there because when you do product, you, I mean, Hopefully, most of the time you succeed, but you also have uh, lots of examples in which you fail. And the most important thing for me is to fail fast and try to reduce that uh, time when you realize that things are not going <laughs> in the right direction and you want to change that. I think one interesting example was a few years ago when I was working in a, in a B2C company. So it was e-commerce website and one of the team I was responsible for was responsible for search. And so search is quite complex. Um, uh, topic you got um, uh, so you're mostly uh, driven by the conversion uh, um, that um, um, your website has uh, when the user is running a search and the likelihood of finding what they were looking for and therefore moving to the next step uh, of the website and it involves a mix of user um, uh, experience because it's ultimately where the user is is looking for the product is searching but it's quite complex as well because behind 
the technical component uh, might go from complex to very complex depending on the product you're, you're handling and depending on the complexity of the, of the algorithms that you are dealing with. And, um, and so there, because of the complexity, we, we were basically like a travel agency and therefore we were combining a mix of products uh, within the same package, activities and hotels. Therefore, it was like a multi-product search run almost instantaneously because you had to provide almost real-time availability right. at the time of the search and so at that moment the team was trying to figure out what was the best technology we were migrating to Elasticsearch which at that point in time was quite trendy because uh, they started with an in-house technology and so they were moving to Elasticsearch and I felt that the team was spending lots of time into um, trying to nail the technical part of that, forgetting ultimately what the user was trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so we were building like a monster that probably would have given us the best search ever, but eventually was not necessarily what the user wanted because the user simply want to find the right package at the right time in few clicks. And maybe at that stage in the process, they didn't need the perfect availability or the perfect prices. And I realized that probably what was missing in that step was defining a clear vision of the product and defining details the objective we're trying to accomplish as a business for the search. And because that context was not properly defined and it was not properly conveyed and, and explained to the whole team, some decisions were taken that probably were not going in the direction we were seeking uh, for our customers. Interesting. So you, if you were to do it differently, you would have uh, planned out the user objectives a lot, a lot clearer at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I would have probably taken a step back and spent time with the whole team trying to re-understand what the user was trying to accomplish and what as a business we were trying to accomplish as well for our users and reassess eventually if the direction we're taking, the technology we chose, and the way we're going towards was actually the right one to deliver the right value for the customer and eventually to capture that uh, as revenue for the business. Oh, thank you for sharing the story. Um, all right, cool. I got some fireside questions for you. All right. Um, so the way it works are four questions. Try to answer them in a minute, minute and a half. You know, do your best. All right. <laughs> you <laughs> Quite challenging. Let's try. Hot seat. Yeah. Um, so the first question I have is, um, you know, we've come across lots of companies that don't have very transparent product processes. Um, so my question to you is, why do you think this happens and who needs to fix it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, overall, I personally don't believe much in the perfect process. Like processes should help you to structure the organization and be more efficient but sometimes have the opposite effect. And in product especially, you know, the organization is changing. More functions are being added into the cross-functional teams in order to create product. And therefore, the processes are changing as well and evolving. And in different organizations, based on the context, maybe different processes are required. 
Therefore, I will more focus on having or setting the right guiding principles and define a system in which the company works because of the context in which they are in. This needs to be accessible from everyone in the organization. Therefore, since the moment you get onboarded and therefore you're getting trained uh, and explain how the company works, you should be exposed to this guiding principle and system so that once you start working, you actually take the right decisions. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Second question. Um, there is typically a lot of pressure, especially in B2B or even sometimes in B2C organizations, um, but predominantly B2B, where you have a big customer that comes in um, and wants you to do some, some, some feature, right? Um, how do you dig yourself out of that situation as a product leader? Yeah, that's a, that's a very tricky one. Um, uh, f first, uh, I was quite lucky not to be in that position very often because I was dealing mostly with small uh, uh, customer and, and, and small companies. But if you get into that position, and it happened a couple of times, I would suggest to try to get into a business model where you don't rely too much on one or two customers. Uh, try to change that and to adapt that. And eventually, if you cannot, because that's at the heart of your business model and you can only rely on big corporation, try to be the product that at least is the customization and makes that product scalable. Because you don't want to invest 100% or 90% of your time into one customer. You want to diversify the risk. And so if you cannot do it through your business model, try to do it with your product and try to make sure that at the end of that, you're not going to rely into your customer. That should into only one customer. That should be the objective. Yeah, very true. Um, okay, next question. Um, this happens all the time. It's uh, very common uh, where a lot of uh, product managers or, you know, t product teams sometimes copy or, you know, reference very closely features from other competitors in the market. Um, so my question is, why do you think they do it instead of not just focusing on their customers? I think the simple answer is that because it's easier. You have less work to do. You use the solution uh, of someone else's assumption and you just test it out. But very often it does not turn out well because the customer jobs of your competitors might not be the jobs that your customer are trying to accomplish. Therefore, trying to really deep dive into what they're ultimately trying to accomplish with or without your product and try to find out the pain points in doing that can actually help you to create an innovative product and eventually boost adoption uh, for your product as well. Bang on. Great. You're doing awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Last question. Um, some organizations uh, ask their users what to build um, next, you know, on their roadmap or even like early on. Um, there's always a time and a place for it, I think. Uh, what do you do as a product person in order to make sure that that is what should be really built instead of relying solely on, you know, those users' ideas and suggestions? 
yeah, like you said, like if customer knew what they wanted, uh, uh, pro probably first we won't be here, but most likely we won't build the right product. Uh, probably if uh, if Ford asked their customer what they wanted uh, uh, back in the in, in the beginning of the century, they would have said a faster horse. And actually, what they wanted was going from A to B faster. And that's why you end up building an innovative solution like a car. And so understanding in the end, which is the deep motivation, what you're trying to accomplish overall is what leads you to innovation and what leads you to creating a product that you didn't think it was possible, that your customer did not think it was possible because they didn't have that in mind. And because of the technology that is available, because of the knowledge you have in your business and because of what you know about your customer, together with your team and with smart group of engineers, designers and product managers, you can find out the most innovative solution to that problem. Awesome. Great job, Ali. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, so huge, huge applause that I want to give to you for the episode today. I think you did a fantastic job. Thank you for coming on our show and sharing your wealth of experience with us. And lastly, of course, thank you to all of our listeners who are constantly tuning in and supporting the show and following us. Ali, it was great having you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanking you for, uh, for having me here as well. And uh, wish you good luck for your next episode as well. Yeah.